Welcome to the 30-Minute Week Podcast on WFUVsports.org. Yes, and welcome once again to the 30-Minute Week Podcast here on WFUVsports.org. I am your host, as always, Reed Horner, and I am happily joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Corey Miller. How you doing, Corey? Real good. Real excited to be back on this podcast. As we were saying before this, good week in sports. April off to a hot start NCAA championship last night. Baseball's in the air. You got to love it. We're going to be having a full course meal of sports today. Well-rounded to say the least, for sure. But um, let's skip the formalities, get right into it. What's our first headline? Headline number one, the March Madness Championship Game Recap. UNC beats Gonzaga last night 71-65 to in an in a interesting game. Interesting. You say it with a little bit of hesitancy. I, I mean, I enjoyed it. I had a really good time. It was a competitive game. Uh, of course, the fouls were problematic, but a lot of people were saying it was the most forgettable championship in a while. I think that it has to do more. I don't agree with that, for one. I thought it was you got as much out of that game as you could ask. It was it was captivating for the final, what, 16 seconds of it? I oh, mean, yeah. the Tar Heels ended that game on an 8 nothing run. Gonzaga was hot from three-point line. I mean... The problem is they had to follow up arguably the greatest college basketball championship game of all time. In which UNC actually gets their redemption. That's another storyline here. Seriously, Chris Jenkins was behind the UNC bench. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah, you can say there are definitely flaws in this game. Of course, there's always going to be. Remember, quote-unquote, these are amateur athletes. But overall, I loved the game. I want to obviously talk about it for as long as we possibly can. But just after your initial thoughts... What about the game playing out did you not like? Did you think was important? Just key points to the game. Well, when you're watching the first half and you see UNC struggling from the field like they were, but not being out of the game, it kind of had a feeling like they would end up pulling it out for me. I I thought Gonzaga outplayed them big time in that first half. They were all over the boards, and UNC led the country in offensive rebounds. But with Karnowski and... You have Collins. All of a sudden, they get into foul trouble, and, and that kind of played a big role as the second half comes on. We were watching, and I was like, damn, there's 11 minutes ne- left, and, and I think Gonzaga was already in the double bonus, and UNC was in the bonus. I'm like, this is going to be a long finish, and there are going to be some players that aren't going to be finishing this game. Yeah, If you look at the box score, honestly, you might be flabbergasted as to how UNC won this game. You mentioned the rebounds. Yes, this is the first game they've won out of all four games this season in which they lost the rebounding battle but won the game. Lucky for them, it was the title game. But yet, they, I, 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 watched the, I watched the beginning of this game, and I've watched enough of these college championship games to realize the athletes tend to get nervous, kind of feel it out. So there was a lot of four shots early, I thought, especially Gonzaga's, and they were hitting from three. But um, North Carolina only shot 14.8% from the three-point line in that game. And I think a lot of that has to do with beginning is that both teams were just trying to throw shots up early in the shot clock, which I didn't like. But I, this exactly your point. I was thinking, you know what? Gonzaga's shooting way better from three than UNC. And mm-hmm. y- yet we're going into this, and UNC's only down by five. UNC's only down by three. They're sticking around. And I think the key to that was their game plan. I need to... I've had my criticisms of Roy Williams, but I, he needs to be praised for the game plan he came into this with because Gonzaga, obviously, over, oversized. They were a great big team that was actually good in transition. 
UNC's guards in particular attacked their big men. They oh, weren't yeah. afraid oh, yeah. because the tendency can be to settle for jump shots, and then that's how Gonzaga gets you. They went at the big men, and they took advantage of that, and I think um, they took care of the ball too. Gonzaga had 14 turnovers to UNC's four, and that is also huge, a big deal. Huge, huge difference there. But you said it, and Gonzaga's whole offense runs through their two dynamic big men in Collins and Karnowski, and once they're eliminated or once one of them is in foul trouble, all of a sudden the offense has to change dramatically. Yes, they were shooting well. Perkins especially uh, right at the start of that game was shooting very well. Uh, down the stretch, uh, you had Williams doing pretty solid, driving a lot and, and all that. But, yeah, you look at UNC, and, and I just the whole time I just felt that they were going to pull it out, and it just continued to kind of stay at a close game, stay at a close game. Gonzaga would go on a little bit of run, then UNC would push yeah. back, and then it would kind of be back and forth. There was like six lead changes <laughs> in the first 10 minutes of that second half. It was, it was really quite a competitive back and forth battle. But then, as I said, and I think this is where it becomes forgettable for some, is how much of an impact the refs had on the game. And they're calling a lot of fouls. And what I like about college basketball compared to the NBA is sort of they let them play a little bit yeah, more. Yeah. There seems to be a less reaction to get that whistle. But in this game, as I said, the fouls became incredibly problematic, and I think that's ultimately why Gonzaga lost. I think you look at a few, and it goes back back and forth both ways. You can't blame the refs for this loss. I mean, there's so many no. different opportunities for one team to take the lead, but it's interesting how that will mar this win. Nonetheless, I mean, you look at this, Roy Williams' third championship win, uh, an impressive staff for him. And they're spread out, too, right? 05, exactly. 17 It's not just like he had a good team or a good run for four years. And to come back after last year's devastating loss in that fashion, I mean, they really played well throughout the whole tournament. They had some close games here and there, but it seemed like when those final two minutes came to play, they stepped up. Yeah, in regards to the ref, I, I really think it's a lazy fan opinion to blame them for that game. Because, no doubt, I had a coach when I played high school ball. Um, he used to always tell me, you don't complain about the refs. Refs will be bad sometimes. A bad ref is not one that calls a lot of fouls or calls a little bit of fouls. A bad ref is that is someone that is inconsistent in their calls. So they're either calling fouls way more for the other team or they start off the game calling everything and then nothing. These refs are very consistent. What you need to do is blame both teams because what happened in the beginning of this game, like I said, they came out shooting and they were like, oh, we're missing our jump shots. So I'm betting you anything the coach's game plan, this happens with a lot of basketball teams, is like, you know what? We're not hitting our jump shots. Go attack the rim and make the refs call the fouls. It was the play style of both teams that forced the refs to call these fouls because if they don't, these are giant seven-foot men pounding each other. And if you let them play too much, you're going to end up turning into something that's more more of a fight than even Manny Pacquiao and... Mayweather that fight like it's 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 is it was an inevitable outcome in the way they were playing but you mentioned Karnsaki um God, I knew I was gonna mess it I can never pronounce his name the giant man oh yeah he was a big factor in Gonzaga's loss I was really frustrated to see a guy who I thought was gonna hit his forehead on the rim every single time went one for eight with four turnovers I'm not gonna blame the loss on him but they needed a big game from him and they didn't get it well you got to give credit to the defense of, of North Carolina there. Karnowski missed a, a lot of close shots that he's normally making, but they did a great job doubling him, uh, being physical with him. Kennedy Meeks was incredible down there on the post, and, and I think a lot of that had to do with it, once you get off to this cold start and you know that you need to be the guy, all of a sudden you get in your own head, and Karnowski didn't even score a point in that first half, and, and he needed to yeah. for that team to win this game. I mean, of course they were ahead in the first half, but... It's crazy. Gonzaga, I mean, 
not necessarily a Cinderella run, but it's crazy how much this program has advanced. I mean, they're the one seed of this tournament, and really I don't think anyone was expecting them in this game. I think most people thought UNC would win, but it's just cool kind of when it all culminates to this one game and, and the tournament kind of comes down to this and there's so much emotion going through it and everyone has their eyes on it. It, it all just it, It's a cool moment, and I think that's why it has so much, you know, pressure on the players and there's so much emotion from all the fans and and you just love to see it honestly it's funny about we had a season in which or a tournament in which we had a really great cinderella team that actually went far south carolina mm -hmm. but this is actually the eighth national championship in which two number one seeds faced off gonzaga crazy, they're, not, right? they're not a cinderella team they are an, an organization that doesn't have a history of national championships like unc which is why i'm kind of sad they're not going to win this but this is the first game that they failed to shoot a higher percentage from the field than their opponents for the first time in 47 games. That's the longest Division One streak of 20 years. Like that, that is complete dominance. So Gonzaga will be back, I think. But the problem is UNC is a lot more likely too. So I'm sorry for all of you. What do you call them? Zag fans or Zag fans? Go. I don't expect them to come back anytime soon for that reason. I mean. They really missed the chance at the big one. Anyways, I thought the game was entertaining. Any last thoughts before we get on to... Uh... Yeah, I mean, just a quick shout-out to Joel Berry. A guy played on a hurt ankle the whole tournament and then came out and, and did his thing. 22 Great points, point. 6 assists. Just got to mention him because he was really the dynamite that you know pushed UNC over the edge there. Yeah, the first player to score 20 points in back-to-back -back uh, title games since Bill Walton. Uh, not a great shooter, but I guess he shot well when it counted. It's impressive. Uh, he, he just likes to fire. Yeah, you know what? I'm very happy with the way this tournament ended up. It was, a, it was a fun time. All right. Headline number two, MLB opening day, baby. I know you're happy about this. For all of you, I'm a, I'm a baseball fan. I'm, not gonna, I'm nowhere near as well-versed in the sport as you, someone who's – you're a baseball fanatic. Yeah, I like baseball a lot. So opening day <laughs> is one of the most iconic moments of our sports year. For whatever reason, I think before we get into maybe the details or projections or whatever, just the, can we talk about the event as it is? What about opening day makes it so special in our world of sports? It's, it really is the one day in baseball in April that really matters, it seems like, at least maybe even for the <laughs> whole first half, that people, like, really care. But it's crazy. People take off work. It, it's a real familial thing. I, I think mm -hmm. baseball being uh, America's pastime, you have the flyovers, the Tradition. giants, uh, the giant flags on the field, and, and all that. It's crazy. I, I don't really see an opening day that's at the scale of baseball. Of course, the NFL is, is so popular and... and can definitely compare, but it's it's an event. People want it to be a holiday. Yeah, no, the MLB, this is a very successful marketing brand or whatever. They've literally marketed the beginning of their season as an event. The NFL, a way more popular sport, doesn't have that appeal. That point you made at the very beginning, though, I think is key, and I, I really want to reiterate that, give you the credit. I think that's a, that's a great point. It's the season so long that 60 games in, you're kind of like, wow, we got a long ways to go. But this is the beginning. This is when we, our sport begins. And that's more celebratory when you know you got a long road ahead of you, you know? And isn't it funny how a loss or a win on opening day can just <laughs> dramatically push emotion it's for so everyone? Ridiculous. Mets win, you know, big, big win for them. Everyone's like, we're winning the World Series this year. You know, the Yankees lose, and everyone's like, oh, it's, it's going to be a rough year. It's just funny how <laughs> opening day sets this standard where everyone's watching. And then, you know, over the next couple of weeks, it'll fizzle out a little bit. But I know on Yes, the Yankees had their highest uh, rated viewership on, on opening day in, in the last five years. So, I mean, stuff like that is encouraging for baseball. And it's just an exciting time. So much hope in the air. I loved it. Um, Some 
headlines I thought that were important on opening day. You mentioned the Mets or New York baseball. Noah Syndergaard, he had a great game, right? Six scoreless innings, but he did leave with a blister. And it made me think, and I wanted to ask you this question. Pitchers seem to be such an iconic part of this sport, and I tend those tend to be most of the players I know. But they seem to be like very high-strung violins. They're always getting injured. Even when they're healthy, you only see them every five or something games. Is this a problem for baseball, or is this just something you have to deal with? No, I think it's just I think it's something you have to deal with. I think when you think about it, they're throwing 90-plus miles per hour. In human speeds. Syndergaard's over 95 with almost every pitch he's throwing. But it's just, I mean, it's a, it's a body part that's getting used again and again and again. And now Syndergaard's injury isn't a big deal at all. It's just a blister. And you make a good point. Is it something they should be worried about? But I think in, in a trend in recent years, because so many people play baseball for so long, that their arms are getting injured mm-hmm. often. And they just throw so much. And in the older days, it wasn't the case because they didn't throw for 16 years before they got to the major leagues, right? I mean, it's it's a little different now. Most of the people stay healthy. Let's, let's be real. I mean, if you think about it, they do succeed in a season. They get through a season with pitchers that make it all the way. But... It's an interesting question. There's no doubt. It's it's definitely can be an issue, especially for the Mets. And for that reason, I think it's it makes the GM job in baseball the hardest GM job in sports because it would be like finding your your franchise quarterback and needing three more good ones to back him up. I just think it's impressive because and then it, I believe you could correct like me that. if I'm wrong. Coaching in in baseball is not the same as other sports. It's almost like once you, as a manager, once you put the players out there, they just kind of do what they do. There's no game plan really. I mean, there are game plans, but there's no. You run a hook. You run. It's like you're out there. So once you assemble that team, you got to hope they stay healthy and execute. Right. Right. You need the players to do what they're sp- supposed to do. I mean, with pitching, you have all these different, you know, specifics now with relievers and and, yeah. and lefties and all that. But yeah, no, it's a fair point. With with I like the quarterback com- comparison and how you need three other good ones behind it because in order to win a World Series these days, yeah, you kind of do. My favorite player of the MLB, Bryce Harper. Maybe future Yankee. I know you're hoping he's going to be. He's good on opening He started off the season against my favorite team, the Marlins, my hometown team, with a bang. Uh, Home run. He's a controversial character, to say the least. But, and I need your honest opinion, can he be the face of this sport? I don't think he will be, just because he parallels with Mike Trout. And I think Mike Trout, because he is better than Bryce Harper, at least so far in this youth, uh, their youthful career— it's hard to say that Bryce Harper will be the face. Is he more, you know, does he present more fire, maybe more entertainment if he goes to New York or something like that? Yeah, maybe he can be, and maybe he continues to compete with, with Trout in that sense. But right now, I think it's Mike Trout for, for the long time coming. Uh, that's a fair point. I think Mike Trout's the most marketable player they've had in a long time. Uh, and as of yet, hasn't had any scandals. We'll see. You know how baseball is sometimes. I'm, I'm, not, I'm you, trying to throw shots. I'm know. just saying. You never know. <laughs> I'm not accusing anyone of anything. But it was an exciting opening day. Before we move on, anything else you think that we missed? Or I, you- I think just one thing to touch on. Uh, looking in Boston, there was a lot of energy there. You had the whole Patriots on the field celebrating yeah. that. Gronk stole Brady's jersey that had just gotten <laughs> returned to him. So I thought that was funny. Orioles winning on the walk-off home run. I thought that was great. There's just so much energy. And not to mention, of course, I almost forgot this. Madison freaking Bumgarner hitting two home runs against the Diamondbacks. Incredible stuff by him. I mean, he does it all. So many storylines in baseball, and opening day just seems to kind of take it all in one day, and it all happens and explodes, and then the season's upon us. I love it, because I do have a problem with with the set forth traditions of baseball, but I will say those traditions on opening day make it feel a real familial kind of feeling and atmosphere, and I think that's something you cannot duplicate in any other sport, so... 
Tradition is powerful. Let's go. Well, another thing that's powerful is all of a sudden breaking the internet like I got this morning. I had to change a little bit of our format for our show because one Tony Romo, a little news on him. Yep. Headline number three today, Tony Romo will not be on the Texans, will not be on the Broncos, nor the Cowboys. He'll be in CBS's number one booth besides (laughs) Jim Nance. Are you kidding me? Oh, wow. This was something that was shocking. I heard it was a possibility, so I'm not going to be pretend I'm blindsided, but I really thought he was going to go to a team like Denver or whatever that and try one or two more years, but instead, he's retiring. I, I'm, I'm lost for words, Corey. Help me out. Why would he have done this? I think in the last couple of weeks, it really picked up speed, and the Cowboys, and it's weird with the Cowboys. You wonder if they are maybe saying, you know, if you need to come back at some point, come back to us. You know, we don't want this is ideal for the Cowboys, first of all, right? Like a backup, backup, backup quarterback, yeah, like, like, like way out off on the, the books. On the now I doubt that's going to happen because CBS <laughs> is a pretty big deal. But did he yeah. sign with CBS? Yeah, that's official. Today. Okay, that just happened. I remember I, I was reading they about it this morning. Today, yeah. Wow. Okay. But you look at him, and and health wise, he's been so injured. It's probably going to continue if he plays football. It seems like the correct choice, in my opinion, for if you're looking at it as a life choice. Yeah, and he's not young. 37. He'll be 37 April 21st. My birthday, by the way, as well. There you go. And he's a very family-oriented guy from what I've heard, right? So he's, 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 the injuries he's had have not just also been injured. They've been very freak, devastating, hard-to-come-back injuries. Oh, yeah. He's made his money. He's made his legacy. I know I don't want to get into the whole stat about is he a Hall of Famer or not, but he holds a lot of Cowboy records, the most notable being... Uh, 34,183 passing yards, 284 touchdown passes, the most in team history. And that's saying something considering players like Straubach and Aikman have worn that Cowboys jersey as well. A lot of other records I'm not going to get into. But where do we go from here? Why? What I'm trying to say is if you're a player that can play in the NFL like we believe him to be, even if injury-wise, I guess money's not a factor, do you think this is more about him wanting to get out of football or wanting to get into broadcasting? Because I have a little theory I want to run by you after after you let me know what you think. I think that I think he definitely wants to still be in football, but I think it's probably more about getting into broadcasting at this point. This allows mm-hmm. him to cover golf as well for CBS, so that's an interesting aspect to it as well. It's it's bizarre though because a few months ago, if the Cowboys had released him on that day, I mean, all reports indicated that he was going to go sign with another team and start for that team. So there's got to be something there. But all of a sudden, the Cowboys don't release him. They want to trade him. And now he's not even going to get traded. He will get released, but now he's retiring. It's been a weird timeline of events these past few months for him. Yeah, well, the Cowboys save a lot of money because if they had kept him, he would have counted for $24.7 million on their cap. Now they release him. He counts for a lot less uh they now gain $14 million in cap space, which is important. They're going to go get a rusher or maybe sure up that offensive line even more now because I forgot his name, retired this year. They want to keep Prescott healthy. What about this theory, though? This is what made me think. I was yeah, reading me. a little bit about why he did this. We live in a world and society where being a celebrity has never made you more powerful. I would say even cele- celebrity is currency in our society, right? So he's 37 years old, near the end of his NFL career. He could go to another NFL team, but maybe not do much, kind of get out of the Cowboy spotlight. Maybe he's making this transition because he wants to become more well-known, more recognized, further the Romo brand to that next level, right? You're on CBS. You're on national television. That's a lot more people seeing you. They hear your voice. They don't just see you play. I think this is as much of a business move as it is a 
family, I want to spend more time and stay in football kind of move, honestly. I, I imagine things started to change when CBS and, and other networks were like, you are, I mean, when <laughs> CBS offered them the number one color spot in football, I mean, Phil Sims has been doing that for a while. I know, you know, you can have your opinion on him either way, but to leave and then just take the number one spot at one of the number one yeah. TV outlets for football, it's impressive. And, and you got to imagine, I mean, that's one of the top jobs in football media. So the arguably the top, yeah, right? Ar- arguably the top. You know, you can talk about Fox and NBC and, and, and those ones, mm-hmm. but it's it's right there at the top. So, I mean, the celebrity status idea, I didn't even think about that, but you are pushing your brand. I mean, think about Chris Collinsworth, how mm-hmm. well-known he is now. I really didn't know him before he got on. Now, he was a football player as well, so people did know him, but he's famous now, and that does hold some some presidents. And you can be in the booth a lot longer than you can in the pocket. Yeah, and I think, sure. I think again, mentioning the family part, <laughs> it, it, it creates more flexibility with that. Not nearly as much. You still have a tough schedule, but... We should have known this the moment he just he just started his Instagram account. The moment you do that, you know you're getting into the media once you have an Instagram account. Anyways, so we're done with the headlines. Now we're going on to the arguably best part of our show. It's I when like we get it. to talk to you guys out there, our listener question segment. It's just me and Corey today, so we have the questions that are printed out. A little pile in front of us. We're going to get them randomly. If you guys are wondering before we get started, you guys can email us the questions at 30minuteweek at gmail.com. Anything you want, sports or non-sports related. By the way, that 30 is 3-0. Um... We'll be happy to answer them on our next show. You can also tweet us or follow us on Instagram at 30 Minute Week. Um, again, three zeros to 30. But anyways, you want to be, be uh, the first one to I'll, choose? I'll get in the pot. Alrighty. Elaine Ray from St. Thomas, Ontario. Even the Canadians love us. Uh-huh. She says, I love this podcast. Sorry. I just had to say that first. So anyways, here's my question. What historical figure would you say that you look up to, if any? I was really hoping you were going to do the sorry in the Canadian accent. You, you missed the opportunity. <laughs> I, I did. I didn't even think about it. <laughs> um, historical figure I look up to. Uh, well, I'm, I love politics. That's something about me. You know, and this is not necessarily just because of political bias or whatever, you know. But it's. I think our President Obama is someone I really look up to just because of, of the mantle he had to carry coming into the White House. Not only being the president of something hard, but let's be real, he was the first African-American president, which comes with a lot of responsibility. And I think whether you agree with his political policies or not, I'm not getting into that. But I think what he did during his eight years was represent himself well and, and dealt with a lot of things under pressure. So to him, I would love to be able to one day to say I was as put together um, under pressure as he was. So Obama, I guess. For me, I think if it's a presidential figure, and I think that usually stands out for, for mm. us Americans, you know, I look at you know, my favorite president being George Washington, but someone <laughs> like FDR. The OG. FDR is someone who I, I look up to as a guy who you know, got us out of the Great Depression, had a lot of troubles with his health and, and, and polio, and, and got through that, was really well-liked throughout the country and just a, a big figure in the international world. So... FDR having having a little sit down with him and, and and working through his mind would be would be pretty cool. Who would have thought? Thirty minute week podcast. We bring you guys all of the answers you want. Thanks for that question, by the way. All right, let's go. Of course, I, I'm sorry if I botched the names. By the way, Louis Morrill from Columbus, Ohio says Ohio says I just read that the NBA is going to have their own award show this June. Honestly, I don't know how I feel about it. I'll have to wait to see how good the production is before I judge it. But I wanted to know if you guys think it is a good move by the NBA. Did you hear about this news beforehand? So this is the NBA awards that the players vote on, right? Um, well, this is, uh, from what I know, is this is 
the awards. Just I mean, the regular dude, awards. It's the MVP. They're gonna they're gonna award the NBA MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, Sixth Man, just like the NFL has been doing since 2011. Um, this is the thing a lot of people have a problem with, and I do as well. The date of this award show is June 26th, and for even you casual NBA fans, you know. The season's over by then. So what? how are you going to... F- this isn't even about the award show because I think it's good. Drake also is going to host it. It was announced. Well, he announced it. But what do you think about them announcing now from now on the NBA MVP after the season, after the postseason? It keeps the NBA relevant. Uh, Does at least it, a little the bit. The draft's already going on around then. But, yeah, I don't know. I kind of like the idea of the announcing it mid in the midway through the postseason like they usually do or early on in the postseason like they usually do. Just because you're you're focused on basketball and and all that, you're really into it at the time. I think the award show is not a bad idea because I think there's a lot of loyal following in the NBA, and there's a lot of at least with the NBA, you you kind of follow the characters around mm-hmm. the league a little bit more. It's easier to kind of gauge with the actual person. So I mean, in this year too, it's a very interesting debate about who is going to get that MVP award. I know other ones aren't as prominent, but. I kind of like the idea. I think it works. I think it, they can be entertaining, and Drake should probably do a good job. I love Drake. I think, or he started off as an actor, as we all know. But yeah. I also am an MSS fan. But that's not the thing I'm saying. Do you think it's going to influence the voting? I want to know more about this. Are they going to cast the MVP award votes before the playoffs start, and then we're not just not going to find out till later? Or are they, they have to? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because if not, then the playoffs are going to. But then also, if you know the MVP by then, why are you going to wait all that time? Because part of Westbrook and Harden, for example, the two number one and two horses for the MVP race could potentially be going off in the first round of this playoffs. And how good of a storyline would that be to have the MVP versus the runner-up in the first round? Now they're not going to have that. And not to mention, what if it gets leaked? Because that's think very that. possible. I mean, you have this extended period of time wow. between the regular season and June 26th where a lot of Didn't things even can, think about can, that. can be leaked. And all of a sudden, there's no <laughs> there's no surprises for this, this award show. Everything kind of swindles out. I mean, if you already know who's going to win, that will be very problematic for the viewership of, of this show. So that's another aspect to think about. That's why you're here, Corey. <laughs> Enlightening us all. Um, I think we have time for one more. Let's hit it. All righty. Make it a good one. Even Final you have no... question. <laughs> I don't know that one. Let's see. That one didn't open. Okay. LeBron apologized at Thompson for or at Tristan Thompson during their game against the Pacers. This is from Robert Gutierrez, by the way, in Manhattan. Thank you, Robert. Why did he feel like he had to apologize? Robert asks. Players like Kobe, MJ, etc. wouldn't have done something like that. To me, it makes him more weak. Do you agree? Weak. Huh. That's a very strong word. I feel like whenever someone describes LeBron, they come out with the the hard adjectives. Um, I don't, many of you guys may not have saw that this was against, uh, I believe, it was double overtime. It was a really high scoring game against Indiana. Right. They were in the huddle, tempers going high, playoffs around the corner, and LeBron just goes off on Tristan Thompson. Now, I don't know what he said, but I think if I have to guess, the reason Tristan Thompson got mad wasn't by how he said it, but what he said. And uh, some people will say this is weak, but I think coming out into the public and publicly acknowledging, publicly apologizing, this man who's the arguably the best basketball player in history, the face of the NBA, to admit that you're wrong, something... It's the hardest thing for many of us to do. I would just say that that points to his leadership and his ability to think about the team before himself. Now, people may think, oh, it also means he's immature. Why are you going to yell at the guy? I don't, I don't, I'm not in that camp, but I can see why you might think like that. I, I think even players like Kobe and MJ 
although they were critical of their teammates on the court, I, I think it mo- mostly happened in practices and, and behind the scenes. You know, I, <sighs> it, it does happen on the court, but I think most of it is behind the scenes. And I think it's hard to gauge if, if it was disrespectful or not by LeBron because he is the leader. He is the team. I mean, he's the GM and the coach for, for Pete's sake. But do I have a problem making him weak? I, I don't really think it makes him look weak. I'd agree with you in that sense. I, I, I am glad he you know, is showing this leadership and all that, maybe do it in a, in a better sense. But it's a tricky it's a tricky subject. LeBron can't really seem to win either way. Yeah, that's the problem. And we don't know all the details, as you said. Um, Michael Jordan, I'm, they're obviously great players. Right. But I always categorize them as me players, while I look at LeBron as a we player. I think that just play style, I think Michael Jordan, Kobe, yeah, right. they are, they're kind of selfish, right? And the stories about what fist fights in practice or whatever, and that was maybe behind the scenes. But that was also during a time in which there was no less doubt. cameras around. Uh, this is just another one of those many LeBron stories. You can be right and have reason to be right on either side. Regardless, what it means is I'm excited for the NBA playoffs, which are just around the corner. It just seems like also like the Cavs panic meter is way too high, and they're yeah. freaking out. Like with I stuff wonder like why that and all that. It just is bizarre to me. You guys are the defending champs. You have people who are injured coming back. For me, it's it's why is there so much panic and unrest? I, I think it's because maybe LeBron's afraid. LeBron's been on teams that have won championships, and then they were veterans, right? He had veterans around him. This team is very talented, but not, they've now won their first championship. Maybe he's getting a sense that we don't understand that they're kind of lackadaisical, that they're set, and he wants to wake them up because he knows better than anyone, being a favorite does not make you a winner. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's just interesting how the dynamic of this team is working right now. But hey, LeBron coming out and publicly apologizing, as you said, usually smooths things over. And just like that, our 30 minutes are up, which means we'll be here next week for you. Thank you so much for joining. I want to thank you, Corey, again. Absolutely. For, Always uh, a pleasure. Anything that follow plug anything you want to let people know before we get going hey we got another great weekend coming up masters baseball you gotta love that and just right now is a good time in sports down the stretch for hockey and basketball and all good things so exciting time really oh yeah and if you guys uh cory is going to be hosting one-on-one you said this weekend so if you guys are locals here in new york going 90.7 this saturday from one to four or you guys can stream it online he'll be there four hours giving you all of his great sports takes um yeah i'm just gonna be here working the podcast doing my thing Uh, I thank you again for joining us. We had so much fun, guys. This has been the 30 Minute Week Podcast. Bye for now.